Good morning, and uh, happy second Sunday of Advent. Um, it is a, uh, a beautiful and exciting time of the year. And uh, this morning I have the uh, sort of challenge of leading us into Advent with an Advent sermon that also touches on our vision as a church. So this is sort of Vision Sunday, uh, but we are using uh, an, a text that will tie in Advent. So it has an Advent flavor to it, um, and it, um, it's going to connect on the verses that we've already heard this morning from the Whitsons in our Advent reading and the verse that Matt Tevs just read. Um, our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of St. John Chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. This is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Father, thank you now for your holy word. Your word is truth. We pray now that you would sanctify us in it. Lord, may our hearts be convinced and convicted of its truth and power. May we be transformed by it and leave this place differently than the way we came in. In Christ's name, we pray, amen. I remember as a kid, me and a few friends walked into the Candy Lane neighborhood of our area. You know, every community has like a, you know, a Candy Lane, right? It's essentially, that's what we call it in California. It's a street where all the you know, neighbors have collaborated to light the neighborhood up, and usually the, you know, the city or whoever subsidizes your electric bill that month, right? And, you know, people get in their cars and they drive down those streets. We've got a couple places like that here in St. Louis. One is over by Ted Drews. There's another one off of Ladue. There's probably more. Um, but at 10 years old, I, along with a buddy of mine, Danny Guzzo, and his older brother Adam and his best friend, one night walked up into Candy Lane and smashed all the lights. And uh, we weren't angry or disenfranchised. Um, We were just punk kids. And we thought it would be funny. And it's ironic because I love the Christmas lights. And I still do, I always have. Part of the reason that I love the lights is because I hate the darkness of this time of year. You know, we can't know for sure when Jesus was born, but it seems fitting to anticipate the coming of Christ at the darkest and coldest time of year. God knows what we need. Celebrating Christmas and summer just 
wouldn't be the same, would it? For Maribel, for my wife it would be, but, but for me, I, it's, you know, it just doesn't seem like it would be the same. I say that because she loves Christmas all year long. It's a metaphor in some ways. In our darkest moments, Christ enters in. In our coldest seasons of life, Christ embraces us with his warmth. And in loneliness, the word becomes flesh and dwells in our midst. Each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, give a birth narrative, at least the first three Gospels, but not John's Gospel. It's different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke in that it doesn't start by telling us the circumstances of the conception of Jesus and his birth. John begins his Gospel with Jesus already as an adult. Now, this has to do with John's overriding goal of making the case for the identity of Christ. John later wrote, later says that he wrote what he wrote, quote, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Simply put, John is just not interested in sharing the details and facts about Jesus' life in that way. He's trying to persuade people of the truth of Christ so that they might become disciples. Nor is John concerned with Jesus' earthly origins. There is no genealogy. Now, we like to ask questions like, where are you from, what's your name, what do you do, and, you know, tell me more about your family. But John simply identifies Jesus as the word that was in the beginning with God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And of course, as we just read a minute ago, this passage in John is an echo of Genesis 1. John is specifically trying to draw parallels of the origin of Jesus and the very beginning of creation in which God created all things. The life-giving force of God that gave shape to the world at the creation is embodied in Jesus, John is saying. The life-giving force of God that gave shape and form to the world at creation is embodied in Jesus. He goes on to say, John, that all things were made through him, this is the word, and without him was not anything made that was made in in him was life, and the life was the light of men. One of the things I learned in seminary is that John's Greek is the most elementary of the New Testament writers. There is complex Greek, and there is simple Greek. 
and it means it is easier to translate but harder to interpret because someone more skilled in communicating essentially tells you exactly what they mean, but because his prose is so elementary, it's, it's up in the air to exactly what he's trying to say. And you will find if you read John in his epistles that his statements are profound but simple. This idea that in him was life and the life was the light of men. That sort of leaves a lot of room for us to figure out what exactly he means by that. But the references to life, to light and darkness, in many ways define the Advent season for us. This is good for us as we sort of come into this season. Perhaps you've already started to decorate. For many of us, you know, there are lights outside and inside your home, and it's a festive time of year. And uh, we're, a lot of us are busy decorating and putting lights on. And because it gets dark so early, those lights shine brightly. But in the Bible, life and light are closely tied together. These are themes throughout Scripture. In the same way, just to push this a little further, that God spoke light and brought life into the dark void of the pre-creation chaos, so Jesus brings light and life into the dark world of sin and death. And that's what Jesus is all about. That's what the gospel is all about. Jesus is the light and the life of the world. Now, if I knew more about biology, I could probably make a very profound illustration about, you know, photosynthesis and how the sunlight gives life to all living beings and creatures. I don't know, maybe I just did do that. I don't But Jesus is the light and life of the world. It's John gosp- John's gospel that later goes on to say in chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. You know, in the five and a half years I've been here at this church, I think this may be the first time I've actually ever quoted that passage. There's an assumption that we all know it, but maybe not. Maybe some of us don't know that verse, or we haven't heard it, or we've heard it so much that we're sort of numb to its power. But as we enter this season, we should be reminded that God still loves the world. We might be tempted to think, well, God loved the world at one time, but we broke it. So that relationship is over. But God still loves the world. It was God who sent his son into the world because he loved the world. Jesus was not saving us from God, as if God wanted to destroy us, but Jesus intervened. God himself sent his son for us, and God still loves the world. If there's anything this Advent season should say to us and remind us, every year, as we think about what it means and what it meant 
for those people back then anticipating the coming of the Savior and Messiah and what it means for us who anticipate the coming of the Savior and the Messiah the second time is that God still loves the world. That God so loved the world that he became embodied. That embodiment, unlike the sort of platonic idea that the body is the prison of the soul, it's not a biblical idea, you know? I think it creeps into Christianity, and we think once we're free of this sort of prison, you know, then we can really enjoy everything God has intended for us. But the embodiment of a savior, the fact that the word became flesh is itself a statement from Almighty God that the world is worth saving. That God has not abandoned us to the brokenness of this creation. He has not left us to our own devices. We are not totally on our own, but God enters in in the person and work of a son. John calls it the word. The word that was in the beginning and the word that became flesh. God still loves the world. It's not a generic love, though, as many would try to portray it. It is not a love without a reference point when we talk about love, when people talk about love, when the Beatles saying, all you need is love. Well, whose love? What kind of love? It's not an ambiguous love defined by every passing trend. There, you know, there are many versions of love in our world today, many ideas about what love is. But the love that God so loved the world with is a love that seeks to rescue us from darkness. It is a saving love. It is a rescuing love. It is a love that shows us the way back to him. When we lose our way, Jesus shows us how to get back home. And we do lose our way, don't we? Each one of us here, I would venture to say, at times, you've lost your way. I know I have. Sometimes I lose my way. Sometimes we fall back into sin. Sometimes we fail to uphold God's holy standard. Our frailty makes us weak. Our finitude pulls against our faith. But Jesus is still the light. He is not a light like these candles that we'll put out at the end of our service and light back up. His light is a flame eternally. His light cannot be put out. Like the sun burning in our solar system, giving our planet life and warmth and preventing our, this sphere that we live on from falling into icy, frozen darkness. Jesus is a beacon in the darkness, a burning flame in a cold and often dark world. But he never gives up on us. Advent should remind us that God never gives up on us, his children. 
when our sins have overtaken us and we can no longer see the path, Jesus is a beacon in the darkness and he lights up the way for us. He lights the way back when we stray, when we lose our way. And because of all of that, because of God's love, because of the light and life that Jesus is, the saving power with which he has delivered us from our sins, sin's judgment and power over us to condemn us, we live for him. But we don't live for him out of fear of judgment or rejection. Why do we live for him? Why? Why should we live for him? What real imperative is there for us to live for God knowing that we are free from God's judgment because of Jesus? This is something that we have to keep defending over and over again. And indeed, it was something that Paul had to deal with all the time. When they heard that salvation was by grace alone, some were tempted to think they could sin with impunity. And of course, Paul says, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. The charge of sort of antinomianism is a charge we receive, Martin Luther received, but before him, even Paul the Apostle received it. That because God saves us and delivers us from his wrath and judgment, therefore, at least they say, we think we can do anything we want. Why should we live for him? We live out of loyalty. That's why we live in the light. That's why we walk in the light. That's why we obey him. Out of a sense of loyalty to God. And our imperfect but redeemed lives reflect the light to a dark and dying world. We now live as the light because Jesus is in us, the light of the world. So what does it mean to live as children of light? Well, it means, number one, the church is a contrast community. Now we're getting a little bit into our vision how we understand our calling as a church who's a part of the church with a capital C. Well, number one, the church is a contrast community. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of the light. We may work or play or go to school and live alongside our, our neighbors, but we're different. Fundamentally, there is something different about us as the people of God. We're a contrast community. We don't love what the world loves. We've thrown off its lusts and its passions to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We're a contrast community. We're different in some, not all, but some fundamental ways. We go to the grocery store, we put our, on our pants one you know, leg at a time, our shoes one foot at a time, we pay bills, we go to school, you know, we watch football games. But we live in this world, but we don't love this world. At least we don't love this world's system, which is in rebellion against God. And we don't love this world because the world and its desires 
are passing away. 1 John 2.17 tells us that. We're a contrast community. Secondly, the church is a life-giving community. This is how we live as the light. We're a life-giving community. John 1 and 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Because Jesus gives us, us abundant life, you know, some people have reduced that phrase, abundant life, just to meaning, you know, we go to heaven when we die, eternal life. It means that. But it means the life we live here and now in this body before we die is a different kind of life than other people live. It is a life that is life-giving. Our lives give life to others. Because Jesus gives us abundant life, we shine to the world as a life-giving force in the darkness, like a city set on a hill. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. It's interesting. John is calling Jesus the light, and Jesus in turn says, you, my disciples, are also the light. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Don't let anyone fool you. People are still responding to the gospel. You know, we live in a very cynical age. Our sort of postmodern culture has sort of um, evaporated like the hope of goodness and expectation that, that God can save people, but God is still saving people. People are still responding to the gospel, and in our sort of manicured lives, we just kind of have bought into this lie that it's sort of like impolite to proclaim and share the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to people and sinners because in a culture like ours in the Western world, you don't do that sort of thing. But it pleases God through the preaching and proclamation of the gospel to save sinners. We need to be reminded of that. That's what it means that the church is a life-giving community. The gospel lives in us, and the gospel radiates outward in words and deeds. So it's not just what we say, it's what we do, but it's also what we say. And it takes courage to say things sometimes. It takes courage to point to Jesus. It takes courage to say that Jesus is the light of the world. Even that simple statement is now quite radical and intolerant in our culture, or at least it's perceived to be. The gospel will always be more powerful than the devil's tricks and lies, and that's why it needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be shared. It needs to be lived. It needs to be spoken. Part of evil's deceitfulness is to make you believe it's winning when it isn't, or at the very least, it has more power than God. And thirdly, living as children of light means we are a covenant community, a community connected to one another in fellowship. Look at what it says, 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as 
He himself is in the light. We have fellowship with who? One another. When we're walking in the light, we're connected to one another. We care about one another. And the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. Living in the light means we're not only in covenant with God, but with each other. You, do you think of yourself that way? Maybe you don't. Maybe it's like a religious, a religious phrase, we're in covenant together, but like, we don't really know what that means. Or maybe there's, it has no real practical application in your life. You know, maybe you talk to your brother and sister weekly, and if you miss a Sunday, it's, you know, bi-monthly. It's like, how are we in covenant with one another? Well, the idea is that the church represents the kind of community, connection, fellowship, and care for one another that is not seen in the world. Now, if the world emulates the kind of care and community that the church is supposed to embody, well, that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing, but of course, there is a fundamental piece missing, and that's Jesus. The church is a covenant community. So what does it mean to be a covenant community? It means we care for one another, and this is part of our vision, to share the love of God for the life of our community by reaching out, reaching in, and reaching up. As a covenant community, we minister to one another with care and mutual support. As a family, we bear each other's burdens and help to carry each other's loads, which is kind of impossible if you don't even know your brother or sister you know, on the, in the pew next to you or across, you know, the room from you. So it takes some work, maintenance. takes the hard work of pursuing people. Are you pursuing anybody? And just, you know, you don't have to answer, raise your hand. Just, it's food for thought. Who are you pursuing, you know? Which one of your brothers or sisters are you pursuing to develop and cultivate a deeper relationship with? That you might know how to pr at least pray for them and encourage them. So we bear each other's burdens. We help carry each other's loads. We work to equip and train one another in righteousness as the Spirit is working within us. That's the reaching in part. As a covenant community, we're also reaching out to our neighbors, engaging them with grace, but also engaging them confidently knowing that God's Spirit goes before us, and God calls us to share His love in both deeds of mercy and words of truth. The gospel is embodied in us through those things. It's not just words, it's also deeds, but it's not just deeds, it's also words. In word and in deed, we are reaching out to our community and our neighbors. And all of this, so we can together in covenant faithfulness reach up to God in worship. We are not only worshiping God and trying to worship God, we're trying to get others to worship God because we believe there is only one God and that the God of Scripture is the only God and that there is a God who has revealed himself in his word. The kind of Maybe complacent behavior, lackadaisical approach to our faith would make sense if God had not revealed himself 
to us in his word. If we had ideas about God, but we just couldn't be sure. But God has not only revealed himself to us in his word, but the living word was made flesh and manifest to us in history, in a real event. And this is the mission and vision of Highlands Church. God has called us to be a beacon of light in a dark world. To be a witness to a watching world. I leave you with Peter's encouragement to the early Christians who faced a similarly dark but hopeful situation. And this is what he says. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Amen.